never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that's heard some people say that goodbye is the hardest word to say. It's not. It's Worcestershire. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. What's up, man? Uh, not too much. You? Um, I'm okay. Um, it's been a week. I'm officially yeah. on vacation because um, we have a convention ahead of us. Um, yeah, so- absolutely. So we're recording. C2E2, here we come. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we're recording a little bit early this week because Peter and I know that as soon as we turn off the mics tonight, we are going to be going into con schedule, I guess, for us because C2E2 Chicago is this coming weekend. So next week will be a really not normal show for us. We'll actually be doing our con coverage. We'll be covering. We'll be kind of talking about our stuff, um, things we liked, things we saw, maybe who we talked to, maybe some interviews. We don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. But it'll be more of a con coverage. And you know what? I haven't been to a con since right before COVID, so I'm really kind of anxious and ready to go. So our microphones will be there. No fan left behind. <laughs> so um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, we have a handful of news. Most of it's pretty quick, uh, but we do have some news to talk about tonight. But Peter, uh, what are you watching? What are you reading? You want to just jump right in or do you want to talk about the con for a minute? Uh, I was, we were just talking about the con before the show. And, uh, so far I've been playing everything by ear. I haven't checked out the schedule. I haven't looked at what celebrities are going to be there, but I am excited to go because like you, I have not been to a big con like this since uh, before COVID, you know, I've been to like maybe small, like comic shop level events and stuff like that, but not like a a proper big comic con like this. So I'm definitely really excited for this one. Um, and I could jump into watching and reading, but mine can be super short because last week we recorded a little bit late this week. We're recording a little bit early, which didn't give me a lot of time to watch and read anything. It's, it's, it's just been one of those busy weekends and I didn't really watch much. Um, I'm kind of in this weird limbo area with that anyways, because it's one of those things where me and my wife are still watching through the uh, MTV series Teen Wolf. And it's one of those things where every night we'll watch a few episodes of that show, but we haven't gotten through yet. But uh, I'm going to give a more thorough review of the whole series later on. But we're on season five right now. So I think we have about a season and a half left. Um, and I'm noticing a really funny thing with this show is that there's kind of a weird reverse bell curve to the quality as far as the seasons go, because it's, it's a corny show. It's a, it's a cheesy show. It's a teen horror 
comedy drama, whatever you want to call it. But the first season, I think, has some real magic in it when it comes to just building suspense and uh, just like really good, like, uh, I guess, like character interactions and character development and stuff. And I really love that first season. The second season comes in. It's still pretty good, but a little worse. There's some nonsense in there. There's some stuff that isn't fully explained, but it still retains some of the magic in the first season. Third and fourth season get really convoluted, really confusing. A lot of stuff is explained. It kind of gets to the point where I wanted to quit watching. But once you get to that fifth season, the quality goes up so much and it's like back to just being like a really well put together show. Again, this is like a CW level, like teenage horror show, but it kind of has like cool action and some actual like superhero esque elements to it. So it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I'm just noticing that reverse bell curve where it like starts off great kind of slips down in quality for a couple seasons and then goes back up to being like really good at what it does. So I thought that was pretty funny, but uh, I'll probably have a little bit more of a uh, more comprehensive review of everything once I watch the next season, as well as the new uh, movie that came out for that. Sure. But um, yeah, honestly, I haven't really watched much besides that. Um, have you had a chance to watch or read anything cool, Drew? All right, so I finished National Treasure on Disney Plus. Oh, um, right, that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> uh, so I finished it. When I say finished it, I finished it minutes before we sat down and turned on. Oh, the great. Um, so my review is really fresh. So I talked about this a little bit before. As a whole, as a whole, it was pretty good. Nice. And I enjoyed it. All right. The. My rev- my complaint before about so I really liked the overall story. I really enjoyed the lead actress, um, the love interest guy. I really liked him. He was cool. Um, and the villain, with aside from some not the best writing, the villain was pretty solid. And when I say writing, it was a dialogue thing with her. The supporting characters, the friends, like the main characters, like friend group that becomes like the crew to help hunt the treasure. Yeah. I didn't find. As a character, I didn't find her believable, like none of them believable. Mm. And I feel like it was a fault, not of the actors, because I had no problem with the actors. I think it was a fault of the writing and the direction. And I say that because. One of the characters is a sneakerhead, and the dialogue that he had, like, sometimes you have to have real-world dialogue in the midst of the fantasy thing you're watching, right? The real-world dialogue that he had actually to deliver about the sneakerhead subculture is, like, either A, he didn't buy it as an actor and just was trying to (laughs) deliver the line, or the people who wrote it don't know what they're talking about and did their best to try and represent. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because it felt weird. And it was like that with all three of the friend characters to the main character. I didn't buy any of the, like, the, the, I just didn't buy it. And I felt like, I'm like, well, this is what happens when you have focus groups and committees trying to create a thing and not 
have someone actually do real research and try and put a thing together. Um, I just found it really weird. So um, other than that, I, I overall, I enjoyed the show. I just it that bugged me for quite some time when I was watching it. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. It's funny because it just reminds me of uh, anytime you see Dungeons and Dragons portrayed on TV, for the most part, it's always you're always watching it and you're just like, well, that's not realistic at all. <laughs> you know, that's not how, you know, Dungeons and Dragons works and stuff. But uh, it reminds me of one of those moments where they're like trying to cash in on a specific subculture and they're just not, uh, you know, they're just missing the mark in certain ways. So, yeah. And it's like I said, it's like that a little bit. And it's just I don't know. Um, overall, I enjoyed it. The puzzles were cool. The treasure hunt was cool. There's a lot of factors to it that were a lot of fun. So I'll definitely say don't not watch it. I think it's worth the watch. Um, I finished the show Shrinking on Apple TV. Um, let me come back to that real quick. I watched Ted Lasso this week. It was great. It's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, Ted Lasso. Um, I'm current on that. The show continues to be amazing. I can't wait for more. Um, the show Shrinking on Apple TV, Harrison Ford, Jason Segel, um, it's absolutely wonderful and it's funny and it's charming and it's probably one of the coolest show coolest new shows i've watched in quite some time so i definitely recommend watching this show um if you don't know what the show is jason siegel and um harrison ford i talked about a couple weeks ago but they're therapists so shrinks so shrinking right um and jason siegel takes a chance with one of his patients and says just do this. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then it seems to work. And then he's like, well, I'm going to try it with another patient. Just, you know what? Just stop the whining and do this. Yeah. It seems to work. And then he tries it with a few patients and he's like getting lucky. And then one of them has like a relapse slash backfire to the advice. Like, and it just, but <laughs> at the same time, he's trying to get over the death of his wife and um, his daughter because she lost her mom, like their relationship strained. So it's literally like them trying to like kind of come together as father and daughter again and kind of reminisce over this. But then you have like the nosy neighbors and like, it's a really, really funny show. Like it was like, there's so many like laugh out loud moments, but it's such a wonderful, charming story at the same time. So nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, shrinking was great. Um, and then I watched history of the world part two in its entirety on Hulu. Um, yeah. Have you watched this yet? No, not yet. Okay. So I rewatched History of the World Part 1. Love it. Fantastic. Um, at the end of History of the World Part 1, they say that you'll get to see in History of the World Part 2, there'll be Hitler on ice and Jews in space. Um, when you get to the Hitler on ice scene in the show, they go for it. They, it's like, <laughs> awesome. you know what's funny is like in a world where you can't say anything about anybody without pissing somebody off, <laughs> without yeah. someone getting offended. Well, when it comes to Hitler, gloves are off and no one cares and no one's going to get upset about anything you say. So man, did they go for it. And they like, the, the amount of making fun of Hitler was like, <laughs> you're just like, oh my God. But at the same time, you're like, no one can say anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, such a good sequence. Uh, as a whole, I laughed straight through the whole thing. It was amazing. It was so well put together. Um, all this great little fun stuff. There's one thing that I didn't expect to happen. Um, there's a scene where these guys are going to be executed, and they ask him for last words. And he goes, 
so he starts talking and he's like, no, 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 don't shoot yet. And they're like, no, no, no. We said these are the last words. So you can talk like we won't shoot you until you stop talking. He's like, so you're not going to shoot me until I stop talking. And my brain went, oh, my God, this is the birth of the filibuster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not what it was. They played the Oscar playoff joke instead. Like the, oh, birth okay. of the playoff. They they played with that instead, which I was like, oh, missed opportunity. Birth of the filibuster would have been so much better. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but other otherwise, it was really funny. Uh, so, yeah, History of the World Part Two. It's amazing. Um, there's a couple. There's two bits. Uh, there's one. There's a bit about a black congresswoman, which was really, really funny. Like, it's actual history, but it's really funny what they did with it. But it dragged on way too long, in my opinion, because what they did was they would do like a sketch. Like, it was like, almost like sketch comedy. So, yeah. like, they'd intro it and you're like, oh, OK, that was kind of funny and clever. And then three or four sketches later, they'd go back and give you like the next part of that sketch. Okay. And then they'd do like three or four different sketches and then go back to another one and then back to another one. So like you had like this rotate, like this revolver of like these sketches, if that makes sense. So the one about the congresswoman, after like the third one, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's it's funny, but can we talk about something else? But they kept going back to it. So I feel like it was a little overdone but it was still funny straight through it was just i felt like it was overdone and then they did uh they did a jesus thing with the apostles so it was like jesus and the apostles last supper crucifixion that kind of stuff like so all the easter stuff was done as if the uh, jesus and the apostles were the beatles um and it right parodied, okay. and it parodied the disney plus beatles documentary the beatles sessions or whatever so these were the apostles sessions and it was funny for, like, the first two, but when you got to, like, the fourth and fifth one, you're like, okay, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> um, That's great. Well, otherwise. I just want to watch it now just to see who plays which Beatle, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, right. It was funny. Don't get me wrong. I just felt that, like, there's some things that I thought were just a little overdone. Um, but otherwise it was, it was really, really great. Wanda Sykes, um, is, was in it. She was fantastic. Uh, Nick nice. Cole's in it. Emily Ratajkowski, like the cast is so, so big. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and you're going to see, you're going to see so many like cameos. You're going to be like, oh my God, they got him. Oh my God. They, you know, like it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. so yeah, that was great. And then obviously I'm caught up on Mandalorian. Where are you at? Oh yeah, I'm caught up, but uh, okay. you know we're. I feel like you reviewed the most recent episode last week, and we're kind of just right before the newest episode drops, right? So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we should probably at least talk about it, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um. So, Baby Yoda gets a chest plate. Oh, yeah. Real quick, we you we, you didn't give me your review about the dude, the scientist, like side story. Because um, you hadn't watched it yet. No, no, no. I had I had watched it. We talked oh, a little did. bit about it. Oh, um, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my review right. is basically that like I was kind of resistant to that story, and not because they focused on like some different characters, but because the story felt way too real world. You know, like 
I'm a guy who works an office job and I don't want to tune into my sci-fi shows and see people sitting in cubicles and stuff like that. You know, it just doesn't give me the escapism that I want. But uh, by the end of that segment, like I actually was more I I feel like I was almost more interested in that story than I was with uh, Din Djarin's story at this point. So I thought that was kind of a. a funny little tidbit, but my favorite part of that whole thing was honestly the scene when they're on the train and they're going to the, uh, the old star destroyer to kind of like loot that because they're on the train and you have the sort of uh, conductor droids or whatever you want to call them that are, they start off kind of suspicious of both the characters. And then you kind of have that little like chase scene and just the suspense was building so much for that scene. So I just loved that. But, um, Yeah, I don't know. Um, The Mandalorian, I feel like, has been good thus far this season. Um, It's still one of those things where, like, this season, I don't really know where the overarching plot is right now. Um, The newest episode was kind of cool. Like, it was cool to see the the whole rescue with this, uh, you know, with this, like, I guess a lot of people are saying it's like a pterodactyl-looking alien and stuff. Like, that stuff all played out really cool. I just kind of, I am drawing a little bit of a blank because I don't really know where we're going um, in general. Like, what's the main plot this season? You know what That's I mean? honestly been the criticism right now is this doesn't seem to be the direction that we normally would have. Um, yeah. Which I'll agree with to a point. But um, I feel like what's going to happen is, is they're we're building to something. So I think what's going to happen is just like with book of Boba Fett, the first four episodes were slower and they were setting the tone and then they flipped the switch at episode five and it got crazy throughout. And when you look at, Oh, uh, interesting. When you look at Mandalorian, we're going into the, um, we're going into episode five, but we're also looking at the, um, we're also looking at, the fact that this is technically new territory and his mission. So he had his quest to get baby Yoda to the Jedi, which he did. And now he's got a quest to atone for his sins, which he did. So what's the quest, but we're also building the first order right now. So there's a lot going on that I think is like escaping people a little bit, but there doesn't seem to be a point yet because, uh, cause we're, I think everyone's focused on what's Mando's mission but this season seems to be kind of like what's Bo-Katan situation, you know? I mean, I could right. be there, but that's just a thought. No, no, I, I agree. I can see that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, like focusing on Bo-Katan. But I kind of wish that they would um, play it up a little bit more, like um, show us a little bit more with just what's going on with her character in general. Um, but I, I do sure. understand what you're saying. Um Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, the one thing I was going to say is the one part of this most recent episode that everybody's complaining about, I didn't have a problem with at all. And that's the part where uh, you have Grogu who's sparring with another young Mandalorian and he does like the, the you know, the force flips over the kid and then flips back over. And, uh, you know, they have that little like it's kind of like a paintball um you know, like a quick draw paintball match or something. And everybody online is complaining about that. But I honestly have no 
problem with that scene at all because i mean we've all seen attack of the clones we've seen yoda go berserk on count dooku and flip around with his lightsaber and stuff and we've seen a lot of other crazy stuff when you account for the uh star wars series as a whole you know we saw princess leia in outer space and we all thought that she was dead in the last jedi and we saw her use the force to uh get back inside the ship and that's another scene that a lot of people had a problem with which i actually thought was pretty cool but um yeah i just thought it was kind of interesting that everybody seems to be uh so jarred by that scene in general you know with uh yeah. grogu doing those flips i it, it kind of catches me off guard how much people are having a problem with that <laughs> to be honest well there's that too <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i just I was talking to a friend of mine uh, recently about how Star Wars to me was a very um, like it was a very personal thing for the longest time. And then it became and then I felt like with the birth of the sequel trilogy, it very quickly became Star Wars is for everybody, which is what you always wanted. And Star Wars always was. For yeah. Everybody. But then I feel like the Internet, the slightest problem that someone on the Internet has tears the star wars community apart and every time i think it's like in this like perfect state of hey we can talk about star wars again everyone just tears it apart again and it just it drives me nuts how like star wars can come together in certain points and then at other points it just people like tear it down so fast and it gets divisive and i don't understand it i really really don't i think there's a level of ownership that um is honestly the real problem to be completely honest but like people like take it as if it's theirs. So when someone does something they don't like, it's they just go on the internet and rage. So I've kind of yeah. I don't want to say I've taken a step back from Star Wars, but I've taken a step back in the sense that like it's for me, and I just I'm glad to get new Star Wars all the time. I may have my criticisms, but at the end of the day, I just want more Star Wars, and I'm just trying to keep it as close to the chest as I can. Is be like it's a personal thing for me. I'm just a Star Wars fan. I can claim I'm a Star Wars fan because I like all of it. And yeah. You know, that's where you kind of have to be with things, I guess. Well, I think uh, I think that's a really good point. And I'm not going to go on and on, but I just kind of want to add to that a little bit, because we live in this time where we have the Internet. And uh, as awesome as it is that it's so easy to connect with millions of people across the world who have the same hobbies and interests as you do. At the same time, you have millions of people who are who have our favorite pieces of entertainment under a microscope. So as soon as they notice a flaw in Star Wars or Marvel or whatever it is, they're ready to go point that out online. And then you see everybody at each other's throats or everybody at the studio's throats about these uh, various flaws in quotes in their movies. And it's one of those things where back in the day, like a lot of this stuff was more niche and you might be the only person in your town who is into Star Wars or comics or anime or whatever it is. But you might actually enjoy them more because you don't have them under such a critical microscope in that way. And uh, for me, like I've noticed it too, Drew, where sometimes you just have to say, like, I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to turn off the screens as far as like I'm going to turn the Internet off, essentially. And I'm just going to watch something and I'm going to make up my mind, my own mind, whether I like it or not. And I'm not going to care what anybody else thinks. And I'm just going to enjoy what I'm watching as opposed to 
joining the bandwagon of internet haters, if that makes sense. And I think people need to, it sounds weird saying unplug because we're still watching movies, <laughs> TV shows and stuff, but they yeah. need to unplug from the collective internet subconscious sometimes and just make up your own mind about things and decide for yourself, like whether you like the newest episode of the Mandalorian or not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So how about this? We can talk about that stuff all night and star Wars is going to put us on a rabbit hole if I don't move us along. So let's talk about, uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the news. Like I said, a lot of these are quick, but hey, that's cool. So remember how I mentioned uh, that Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo are all not going to attend E3? Yeah, this, this is yeah, this was a while ago, but yeah. So officially, Ubisoft and Sega have both also pulled out of E3. Crazy. Um, I don't know what is going on with E3 now, but it sounds like <laughs> it's not gonna be one. <laughs> Like, they haven't officially canceled it, but it's just like, wait, what's going on? So, um, I don't know what that's about. Um, okay. Uh, have you <laughs> seen... Sorry, like I said, a lot of these are quick. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the photos of Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn for Joker 2 that have released this week? Yeah, I do keep seeing them going around. Um, it's kind of funny because <laughs> we're in this place where, like I said, there's all this, like, internet pointing out criticisms of everything left and right and we're also in this time where a you know artificial intelligence art is kind of blossoming and i keep seeing these lady gaga images going around but there's part of my brain that's like not believing it that it's like just ai images so uh refresh my memory a little bit but i've definitely seen them i just haven't taken that close look unfortunately because every time i see them i'm like oh it's probably just an ai mock-up that somebody did or something like that i know well, that sounds let me, horrible let me but... refresh your memory that lady gaga did get cast as harley quinn for the joker sequel yeah absolutely absolutely so i know that, that for sure we know that's true and they're filming and there was a couple there was a couple set photos of um joaquin phoenix that released but he looks like the joker and we all know if you've seen the yeah. original he looks like the Joker. So I was just like, oh, there's Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker stuff again. Okay, cool. The, these images of, of uh, Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn, I really like them a lot. It's like a really earnest, like, and that's the thing, like, the Joker movie was a very realistic kind of earnest take on the Joker. It wasn't the over-the-top comic level. It was a very serious take on a character dealing with what he dealt with. And then you throw in um, and then you throw in Lady Gaga and she's going to play the Harley Quinn character and they're going to do it serious and they're going to do it earnest. And you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, this the pictures that released, I think they look really cool, to be completely honest, and right on par with what we've kind of already seen slash, you know, got from the you know first movie. Um, I was kind of pleased to see what she looked like. I, I, I don't know what I was expecting. But I think it looks good. Right. So it's just like she's got she's got the like cool uh it's the eye makeup kind of did it for me. I was like, oh that looks amazing. Um her hair is kind of just pulled back right now, but it's not it's not like in like the standard Harley Quinn look that we know. Um because Margot Robbie, her Harley Quinn looked very comic book Harley Quinn. Um not 
realistic sense the way I was expecting for the Joker film. Um, but this is like a red jacket with a checkered, like Harlequin looking diamond uh, blouse underneath. Um, some like looks like a black miniskirt, like a leather miniskirt. Yeah. Uh, she's got a purse, but like it's the eye makeup and the hair color and stuff like that that I'm like, yeah, right on. This is, you know, I don't know. I yeah, think it's, yeah. From from what I remember, they all looked like just really subtle like realistic versions of Harley. But uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, I think it is that leather jacket look that you mentioned. I feel like one of the outfits does look like it's definitely very strongly referencing the original Harley Quinn outfit without actually being that, you know? So um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> well, all right. Um, Ryan Coogler is going to be rebooting the X-Files. Yeah, I did hear about this. Uh, this could be kind of cool. Um, I don't, I don't. They they're gonna make it a series, um, but it makes me wonder. I mean, they say that it's gonna be a reboot series with a new and diverse cast. I kind of expected that coming. I think it's gonna be that's that committee and focus group thing where they're gonna have to check some boxes for your <laughs> cast members. Right. But but. Um, I think it could be a really cool thing. Um, I really enjoyed the original X-Files, and um, I liked the first movie a, a ton. I wasn't a big fan of the second film. Um, but they could do some really cool stuff with that, especially in a world where we've rebooted, uh, like, Twilight Zone and stuff. I think the X-Files is, like, right on par for that right now. But that also brings me to my point, like, from before, um, you know, if... Uh, like, I'm waiting for that Stargate reboot, too, because um, I think, you know, with Star Wars in the state it's in, with um, Star Trek in the state that it's in, Stargate, man, um, we're just waiting for it. Like, they're rebooting everything. The other thing I want rebooted is Wings, but that's me. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think in the realm of reboots, my one thing is always, like, I want to go back and just watch, like, rewatch some old X-Files episodes and see, like, does it need the reboot? Like, do these feel really dated, dated and stuff? And I know some friends who, like, rewatch X-Files all the time. And I've heard people say, like, you know, the series still holds up really well. But um, that's, I guess, a whole different conversation to have. But uh, that's that's kind of how I usually think of it. And in my mind, like, some of those old X-Files practical effects looked super realistic but sure. that's the funny thing is if i go back and rewatch it is that are those memories going to be ruined for me and me and I'm like, am i going to be like oh i guess they weren't realistic at all <laughs> now that i rewatch right. it you know what i mean right well here's something that i never thought i would say out loud um but Liv tyler is going to be returning to the mcu as betty ross Yes, I did see this. Um, all right. So Captain America, the New World Order, which will be uh, Anthony Mackie's uh, Captain America. So he's now ca he's Falcon Captain America, if you will. <laughs> That's the best way of wording it. Um, he he will be Captain America in the new movie. Um, we know that Harrison Ford will be playing um, Thunderbolt Ross or President Ross in the movie. He's replacing uh, William Hurt so they can uh, do this role. Um, and of course, Liv Tyler, why not have her in there? Because she, she's technically the first daughter, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, so have her in there, um, which makes me wonder, would we potentially get a Bruce Banner cameo in this movie? Um, I have no idea. I don't even want to speculate on that because I feel like they want to try and keep it 
Captain America as Captain America and not share that space with the Hulk, but you never know. Um, but, you know, Liv Tyler coming back, that's huge because we haven't seen her in the MCU since The Incredible Hulk. And that's the one, that's one of those movies I thought that we were going to kind of put to bed and never see the light of day again, you know. So, yeah, I, f- I feel like the uh, I feel like it's the unfortunate thing with the Hulk is he kind of has to be like within the MCU. He has to be part of a team because they can't they don't have the rights to do a solo Hulk movie. And uh, some of the flack I've seen this announcement get online is that they really want this uh, Captain America movie to be a Captain America focused thing, especially with Sam recently taking up that role. And uh, now we have all these Hulk characters making cameos in it. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. And are we going to have this like hulk adjacent cast that's going to steal the spotlight from captain america you know how is this going to play out but on the other hand it is cool to see these characters coming back um i'm really excited for like the thunderbolts um i really was a big fan of like the red hulk um story story arc so the potentiality with that as far as the Harrison Ford uh, Thunderbolt Ross stuff going on, as well as um, Liv Tyler coming back. Like, are we going to see a uh, MCU version of Harpy at one point? Like that's these are all like questions going through my head and it all sounds cool. So I'm totally on board with all of this so far, uh, even though I'd kind of pointed out some of the Internet flack that I've seen about it. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, moving on. Um, Zack Snyder, remember we talked about the uh, big announcement? Yes, yeah. Uh, so we still don't know what the big announcement is, because the big announcement is the weekend of April 28th to April 30th. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's where we have the SnyderCon. We know that SnyderCon is happening based on the fact that he's making a big announcement that makes sense that they're going to do the announcement at SnyderCon. Um. We know it's been confirmed that he is going to screen Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. So the Snyder Cut version is that. It'll be a Snyder Cut version of Man of Steel as well. So it'll be director's cuts of everything. Um, so, and he's going to do Q&As and talk about it and stuff like that. In the midst of all that, they're going to do the announcement. And it's a big charity event. So that sounds awesome. Cool. Right. Snyder has reportedly received permission from WB to from Warner Brothers to include now before I finish this remember how we got John Jones at the end of uh, we got Martian Manhunter at the end of uh, Justice League yeah that's not what it was originally was supposed to be um he filmed a very special scene and they were he was told he couldn't use it because of another series that got scrapped at the at mm-hmm. the time it wasn't scrapped but it did get scrapped so he had to reshoot and change it to Martian Manhunter great Um, So Snyder has reportedly received permission from Warner Brothers to include Kilowog and Jon Stewart at the SnyderCon screening for Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's awesome. So unfortunately, it sounds like there's going to be another cut of the film out there. And how do I see that? How do I (laughs) how do I at least just see that scene? You know, (laughs) so where is SnyderCon being held that I don't know yet? Um, okay. I guess we could, I guess we could Google that real quick. Um, yeah, because that would be so it'd be so epic to actually I don't know if it's a streaming only event or if it's you can actually go. Yeah. But that would be so epic to actually be there. 
Um, but while you're Googling it, the, the other thing I'll say, um, and this might be an, are on sale. Go ahead. This, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I actually feel like uh, when Martian Manhunter shows up at the end of the Snyder Cut, it was awesome seeing Martian Manhunter. And it was a really cool uh, ending to that movie. But I, to me, like I kind of felt like, I don't want to say the design was rushed, but I just, it's interesting that Zack Snyder had to kind of like pinch hit throw Martian Manhunter in that scene because he couldn't use Green Lantern like he originally visioned because something about that Martian Manhunter design felt a little bit, I guess rushed is the only word I could say. Like, I feel like Zack Snyder's version of Martian Manhunter, if he had the time and the budget it's, it's for Snyder it. Con is, sorry to interrupt you, Snyder Con is in Pasadena, California. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, I probably won't go, even though that would be amazing. <laughs> but, uh, sorry. No, what I was saying is like uh, Zack Snyder's version of uh, I feel like with a longer time and a bigger budget, Zack Snyder would have a much more imaginative, much different version of Martian Manhunter, because the as much it looked really cool at the end of the Snyder cut, that character looked awesome. But I kind of almost prefer the cw supergirl version um and if you look at different like comic book versions of martian manhunter where they change like certain artists actually change um you know his martian appearance change like the shape of the skull and stuff i feel like Zack snyder's martian manhunter would be a little bit more imaginative and larger than life than what we got yeah. if that makes sense so i can kind of feel and I don't know if this is just me being too much of a Snyder fanboy and reading between the lines, but when we saw that character, I felt a little bit like underwhelmed just because in my mind, Martian Manhunter would have always felt a lot more epic than what we got, if that makes sense. So yeah. I feel like that 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 feeling goes in line with this Green Lantern announcement, which sounds awesome. And again, I imagine like, Zack Snyder's Kilowog is probably pretty badass, <laughs> badass looking. So, yeah, um, and I agree. And like, I thought Kilowog in the Green Lantern movie looked great. It really did. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and I actually thought like a lot of the Green Lanterns they showed looked great, but Kilowog, I thought they kind of nailed like perfectly. So even if Zack Snyder used that model, it would be pretty good. You know what I mean? True. So, yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons real quick. Um, All right. Because we have a Dungeons and Dragons movie that releases this weekend along with Comic-Con. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be going to C2E2 <laughs> and Dungeons and Dragons drops this weekend. So due to the fact that I'm going to be at a convention and trying to uh, do fun stuff at the convention, I'm not going to get a chance to see Dungeons and Dragons. I actually have a plan to see it with my adult group. So ultimately, that's the way I want to see the movie anyway. Nice. Uh, so I think it'd be a lot more fun to go see it with them as opposed to by myself, how I usually watch movies. So my review of that will be a little delayed. However, um, a review that a review came in because the premiere has already happened. So a lot of celebrities have had a chance to go see the movie and whatnot. Uh, so they had the, the premiere with the celebrity crowd of the red carpet premiere for the movie already. Now, in terms of whose review do you trust? Well, for a movie, a lot of times you want someone who knows really good stuff about movies, and you'll look at critics and all that stuff. But this is a movie about a board game, tabletop RPG, and we have a vast community for it. And 
um, the Critical Role cast attended the premiere. Matt Mercer, the DM for Critical Role, tweeted his review, and it makes me very excited to see the movie because it's such a positive review that makes me go, this is fantastic. So I'm just going to quick read this review. Uh, this is his this is a tweet from Matt Mercer from Critical Role. He said, got to be a part of the Los Angeles premiere of the Dungeons and Dragons movie last night. As much as I was apprehensive, given the scars of the 2000 film, this film is thankfully a, ba- a blast. Fun, humorous, with some good action and adventure. It evokes a well good session at the table. Nice. nice. That's right. Exactly. It's just nice. Perfect. That is all I needed to know to know that I'm going to have a good time seeing this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really appreciated that because, you know, the uh, the uh, that 2000 film. Whew. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, Dungeons and Dragons, WizKids or Wizards of the Coast um, had a big announcement press conference thing today. And they announced a lot of projects coming, uh, books coming, uh, modules coming out. Uh, Minecraft is getting a Dungeons and Dragons expansion or Dungeons and Dragons themed expansion. Crazy. Um, they've got a virtual tabletop that's going to be releasing soon. So like literally I can create my character in a virtual setting, actually have an avatar of my character on screen and like we can play D&D virtually and actually have a tabletop uh, board game kind of setting. Um, it looks fantastic if it's as fluid as it's going to be. Um, it looks really cool. So um, they made a lot of announcements. The big announcement, in my opinion, that really got my attention was the 50th anniversary documentary that Joe Manganiello is directing uh, with Kyle Newman. Um, okay, they, nice. They've shot um, apparently dozens of interviews and using 400 hours of never before seemed archival footage. The documentary is going to release in 2024 for the 50th anniversary. Uh, so we're about a year out, um, and then we'll get to see this documentary. But it was really cool. They did sh- You did get to see some, like, scenes. Uh, not really scenes, but it's more of, like, some, like, ooh, that's a face that, you know, I wasn't expecting to see in the documentary, you know? <laughs> so um, it's. I think it's going to be really cool. I look forward to it. So that comes out um, next year. Um, but that's it for the news, man. Unless you have anything to add to the D&D news that I just mentioned, but. No, it all sounds awesome. I'm just uh, disappointed I won't be able to see, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, the movie opening night. But uh, I'm really excited, you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm there, too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, dude, so that's where. Um, yeah, that's where we're at. So um, let's talk about tonight's list. You good? Yeah. All right, dude, it is list time. So let's roll the thing. the top five all right um peter this was my pick this week um so i chose neo-noir films um to do a quick catch-up noir or neo-noir is a revival of film noir a genre that had originally flourished during the post-world war ii era in the united states roughly from 1940 to 1960 The French term film noir translates literally to English as black film, indicating sinister stories, 
often presented in a shadowy cinematic cinema cinema talk about a word here cinematic cinematographic yes (laughs) style neo-noir has a similar style but with updated themes content style and visual elements um I just wanted to read that definition so people understood what I meant by that. A lot of times these tend to be um, crime dramas. Um, yes. Where you have questionable heroes, questionable stories, that kind of stuff. So um, this is uh, – I I found myself – there's a couple movies that when I – when I was Googling and trying to make up my list, there were some of them I talked about heavily that I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'll use this as an example. Seven. I love right. that movie. But I never in my mind really felt like it was a noir film. I never really okay. put it in that category in my mind. So it didn't make my list because in my head, I never really counted it. Kind of like when you and I were talking about um, uh, which one was it? Um I got to back up a second. There was one that you and I were like Dark Knight landed on and we were like, how oh, uh, ensemble films? Yeah, like ensemble films. Like, how did Dark Knight get on there? Like, every, <laughs> yeah, every now and then you Google something like, how did you guys claim? Yeah, that? whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's it's just an example. Like seven just to me was a murder mystery. I never really counted it as noir the way I think of noir in my mind's eye. So, um I just wanted to use that as an example, but ultimately, like if you did great, because it, in my opinion, it still counts. I just, you know, yeah, I, um, there's a lot to go off of on there, but, um, I'm actually glad that you read that definition because, uh, the definition of neo-noir, uh, mentioned that it's a revival of film noir, which flourished in, uh, and I can't remember the years you said, but basically 1960. Right. I was going to say just a classical film period, because the thing with me, the the word neo being in there, it makes me feel like there's something more to it. Like I was expecting all these films to be like um, something like I don't know if you've seen the movie Terminal with uh, Margot Robbie, but that's like that was one of the films that was on the list. And that like to me, like it has that newer feel because a lot of the lighting is that sort of like neon sort of uh city lights and stuff like that neon aesthetic and then if you think of a movie like um like sin city or the spirit for example like those make sense to me because they have that comic book black and white aesthetic but then they still have splashes of colors thrown in and it feels like a new like a neo technology or filming techniques are added into it because when i was looking through the list i was just like well, wouldn't a lot of these just be noir films? Like, I guess that they're newer films, but I feel like they'd still just be noir because there's no, like, they're kind of straightforward crime series. Um, So I'm actually glad you read that definition because I understand now that it's like that revival of the classic film noir genre. But um, regardless of what I just said, I literally went through the, there's a Wikipedia page with, a list of neo-noir films. And uh, I kind of just went through that list and picked my five favorites. (laughs) That's kind of where we're at. But um, some of my picks, I think, probably fit the genre uh, better than others. Um, When it comes to this genre, Drew, I remember um, back in the day, 
I remember you getting into the anime noir, which yeah. um, from what I understand is like, and I haven't seen much of it. I've seen a couple episodes that you were watching back in the day, but um, my impression of it is that it's a dark crime story and that it is a, uh, it's a animated series that is uh, storyboarded and directed in a way that resembles film noir when it comes to very, um, shadowy scenes when it comes to the like a lot of use of black on the screen when it comes to certain um shots because i i feel like when it comes to classic film noir like i've probably only seen like one or two of those movies but to me there's a certain like dramatization to the shots that are in it which i feel like is really evident when you look at like a newer movie like i'm going to use sin city as the example again but I, my mind always goes back to that anime noir because I remember the way that that uh, was storyboarded has had such a dramatic feel to how it was. And maybe that's just because it was an anime series. But I feel like in my mind, because of that series, that's like something that's evident in film noir. And I might be a little bit off base there. And I feel like I'm being a little bit ba- vague, so I'm not sure if you know what I mean as far as no, that I know, goes. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's been a while since I've seen that series, but it did get a little fantasy-driven towards the end of it. But that's right, right. standard anime stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I do have two honorable mentions. I don't know if you do. Um, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> so go ahead. What's, what do we got? Okay, so for my first one, I'll just get out of the way. I threw Fight Club on there. Um, it was on the list. This movie, we've talked about so much. I've talked about it enough that I feel like it would probably be cheating if I left it off the list because it's obviously one of my favorite movies. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Fight Club's my first honorable mention. So, yeah. All right. um, my first honorable mention is Basic Instinct. Um, okay. This, um, I really enjoyed the mystery in this movie. But the way it was told in terms of it's basically like a romance, not really romance. It's a mystery author whose books, the killer is like using the books as inspiration. So trying to kill the people the way the books killed the people Um, and the cop getting wrapped into it, wrapped up into the idea of like, could it be the author doing all this stuff? But then he ends up falling for the author. And then like, so the, the mystery wrapped around all that stuff, it was really it's just a. I, I always liked the idea of how those characters played there, and you got the, the the hero cop is essentially like a really questionable dude, you know. Um, like you don't really, he's not a very likable character. You don't, you're rooting for him, but at the same time, you're like not sure if you like him or not, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought it was a really, I, I really really like Basic Instinct as a murder mystery kind of a story. So, yeah, nice. Um, um, to comment on that, I have never seen this movie. Um, I think really? it came out when I was very young and, uh, I just never went back to watch it. Um, but I know it's like, it's one of those movies that I always wanted to watch. Cause I know it's like, I feel like it stood the test of time as far as like, I hear it brought up all the time. I see screenshots of it online. I feel like it has a real presence in the, uh, sort of pop culture hall of fame, if you will. And uh, so I've always wanted to revisit it, but I think a good point I can make is you're probably going to talk, you're probably going to bring up some stuff on this list, Drew, that I just haven't seen because I think a lot of like 
you know, some of these picks are like 80s and 90s, like dark crime dramas that I kind of just missed when they came out sort of thing. So, sure. I got gotcha. you. Um, what's, um, your, what's your next time I'll mention? Yeah, my next one is another movie I've talked quite a bit about, but I went with the uh, Korean action film Old Boy. Um, this movie's awesome. Everybody, everybody should watch it, but it is a tough watch. I'll say that. Um, and it's a tough watch. Like it does have its violent and gory parts, but it's more the uh, psychological dra- trauma that you'll go through while watching the film is more of the reason why it's a tough watch. But I, I think when you think of uh, film noir and the sort of uh, dark, questionable themes as well as imagery, I feel like this one definitely fits the bill. Uh, in so many ways so yeah right on um all right my next honorable mention is the movie bad times at the el royale um did you see this at least i haven't seen this one yet i hear good things okay (laughs) um this is a this is a newer one that's why i thought maybe you'd see yeah um this one is this movie is cool i know i talked about it in terms of like giving a review and stuff but this movie um has this is that thing where like something's going on in the hotel. There's a mystery behind it. There's a history to the mystery that goes way back. Um, like to the forties, maybe it goes pretty far back. Cause the movie takes place in like the late sixties, but like it goes back to like forties, maybe thirties. Oh no, it was the thirties. Um, of, like stuff that happened at the hotel and like the mystery continues because the CIA was using it to like spy on people during a certain time period. And, uh, so you find out there's all these like tunnels built into the walls and stuff like that. Um, so like looking into the spying into the rooms and stuff and you get to see everything going on and it's, it's a really cool idea. Um, and then it gets crazier and crazier, but, um, just as a story in terms of questionable characters, questionable heroes, uh, what's going on, what's the mystery, you know, that kind of stuff. Really, really fun movie. Um, my only, my only complaint to it is that I thought it was a little lengthy, and there was a couple parts that dragged. Other than that, I just, I thought it was great. Um, nice. So, yeah, that's, yeah. So, Bad Times at the El Royale, really cool. Um, all right, man, what do you got? Okay, so. I have a um, feeling we're not matching at all, so. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to find out. But, um, yeah, so I'm not going to bury the lead. I've already mentioned this movie a couple times, but uh, I went with Sin City. <laughs> so, ah. this was actually a movie that I was going to save for a little later, but. Since I've already mentioned it once or twice, I guess I'll go for it. But SimCity to me, like I saw this on the list. And as I mentioned, like when I think of like just the word neo-noir, I think of a noir film, but with new elements, with something avant-garde or unexpected or something technology based that you couldn't make back in the 40s and 50s. And that's when I think of Sin City, I think of like, you have a black and white film, but it has splashes of color. It has like, it's almost like a hybrid element to it. It has like, it's just visually something you couldn't do back then. So to me, it just fit this list so well, but it's also like Sin City was based on a comic book and uh, I don't know for sure, but I would not be surprised at all if uh, Frank Miller wasn't inspired by film noir in general when he made this comic because it is a black and white dark and gritty crime story and what's cool about the movie and the comic and the franchise in general is it has 
those ties to the classic black and white film noir movies, but it also has ties to the old sort of like 1980s um, uh, indie comic scene where, you know, somebody would draw their own comic and they wouldn't be able to afford to print it in color. So you had all these underground black and white comics um, in decades past. And I know Sin City came out kind of after that, um, you know, 70s or 80s boom, but I think it fits with the spirit in that as far as the imagery and the craft work and stuff like that. But then you go to the movie and you have like this indie, this, uh, sorry, this comic book that's already been, you pretty much have the movie storyboarded already going in and the movie can draw so much of that imagery from the comic when it comes to the dark imagery, when it comes to these inked panels that you can turn into a screenshot that has so much heavy use of black and uh, just the dark themes and storylines. And I feel like this one just fits so perfectly um, to me. It's like, and I might be totally off base because I feel like I'm learning new things about the neo-noir genre as I speak. But this one, to, in my mind, fits so perfectly as like a quintessential neo-noir film, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Sin City is probably one of the most perfect examples that you could throw at the wall on this one. Right. Because, because of uh, what it is. Um and it's it's dark, gritty crime dramas. Who's the hero in that movie is a really great question, um, because <laughs> it's it's like everyone's kind of like their own hero and they're all a bunch of assholes at the same time. You know, as I mean? long as you don't say yellow rat bastard, you're probably <laughs> on the right track, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, it, Sin City is probably the most perfect example. I I really, really love the genre. I always have. And you can see it like you'll see a trailer for a movie like, oh, my God, this new noir film coming out. You know, like that's right. I've, I've always liked the genre, even back to like, you know, Double Indemnity was probably one of the first noir films I saw. And that's a film from like the 40s. Um, it's fantastic if you get a chance to go back and watch it. Um, there's a really, in my opinion, nice. it's a funny monologue uh, in the movie. It's not meant to be funny. It's just a. The monologue doesn't the one monologue does not stand the test of time. <laughs> nice. Um, so it makes it a little funny. But the movie itself is just great. Um, anyway. Um, so I guess that goes back to me. So my next pick is a movie called Collateral. Have you seen Collateral? Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx. I think you've that's... talked about this one before, but yeah. I don't think I've actually seen it. Um. Yeah, so the basically um, Jamie Foxx is a cab driver who is basically trying to he's trying to basically make a new business for himself because he wants to be a limo driver. Um, it's like before the birth of Uber, if you will. And um, he uh, he has to, he picks up this fare uh, who's played by Jada Pinkett Smith. And she's like, I need to get here. And he's like, OK. And it's kind of like really late at night. And he's like, oh, I know a faster way. And she's like, no, 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 this way is faster. He's like, lady, I've done this way more than you have. Like, trust me, like just if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, the fair, the like the, the fair is on me or whatever. And she's like, OK, I'll take that deal. So they're like get to, getting to know each other in the midst of it. You have Tom Cruise, who is clearly like a hitman. 
on his way to kill somebody. And then I'm going to spoil this because it's the only way to talk about this movie, <laughs> but he's essentially trying to kill Jada Pinkett Smith and you don't know it right away. So like he's a hitman trying to track her down and kill her. So he's in the midst of like, so it's like two stories kind of juxtaposed together and eventually they coalesce. Um, it's cool, dude. And Tom Cruise is a villain. He played it really well. There's some really cool, like night, uh, nightclub fight scenes and gun battles and stuff like that. It's, it's a fun movie. Uh, it was directed by Michael Mann, who also directed Heat. Um, so if you're if you liked the movie Heat, you kind of should have an idea of you know what I'm talking about there. But yeah, um, nice, really cool movie. If you get a chance to check it out, I highly recommend it. So anyway, what Sweet. else you got? Okay, cool. So uh, my next pick, um, this one, I don't know if it fits as well as some of the other picks I have, but it was on the list. So there you go. But I went with, uh, last night in Soho. Uh, this is probably the most recent movie, um, that I'm mentioning, but this movie came out. Um, I can't remember if it was 2021 or 2020. I think it was 2021 when it came out, but I, it was just a great movie. It's one, it's still one of, uh, the best movies like I've recently seen. And, uh, I can see how like, cinematography wise when you think about the plot of the film and how you have the uh main girl character who she goes to sleep and she you know she's in college and she finds an apartment and she goes to sleep and she is transported like in this dreamlike state to playing out the role of another character in the same neighborhood as she is in but in a different decade like I think she goes back to the 60s or something I can't quite remember exactly when it was but my point is with all the imagery with the dark alleyways and the pubs and the nightclubs that she goes to in this dreamlike dreamlike state as well as some of the horrific and supernatural imagery that comes into play later in the film. I can see that from like a cinematography um, level, as well as probably a storyline level, how this would fit with uh, a film noir. But um, to me, this one just kind of, it seemed odd that it was on the list for some reason, but it was on the list and I loved this film. So I figured I would mention it. Last night at Soho, believe me, dude, this, like that is definitely a noir film. And when I, when a movie starts, like the first, I don't know, maybe five, 10 minutes of the movie, I would not have classified it as noir because I didn't really know what I was watching. And then as the movie goes on, as you learn what's going on is definitely a noir film. So, okay. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's last night in Soho is so good. Um, all right. So my next pick is the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, Specifically, the Daniel Craig Rooney Mara one. Um, I did see the. Uh, it's it's not is. I want German it's, or. I that's what I was gonna say. I want to say it's Swedish or German. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, yeah. I did see that one, and not that that one wasn't good. I just and for some reason it might have just been I saw the one first, but I really liked the Daniel Craig version. Um, the mystery in that is great. The. Uh, the chemistry between the two characters is great. It's one of those things where these movies, I don't think get enough recognition for what they are, the dark twisted nature of it. Um, but I also like, like those dark twisted stories anyway. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, did you see this one? 
Um, I've seen parts. I don't know if I've seen the the full thing, which is sad because I know it's um it's David Fincher directed, right? And he's uh like yeah. I obviously love David Fincher a lot, so I should probably go back and revisit this one. But um, yeah, probably should because it's yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I was thinking too since I already brought up Fight Club, it would be interesting to. I don't know if there's ever been a lot of um like interviews with David Fincher you could watch and stuff, but I'd be curious about his, uh, his influences. Like, is he really influenced by classic, like film noir and stuff? Because a lot of his movies came up, um, when you started to look up neo noir films, like you have mentioned, you know, seven, a couple of times, you know, so. Yeah. And he probably is. Um, I, I haven't, I have not sat down and watched a movie with director commentary on in a really long time. Uh, yeah, and some of them are hit or miss. Some of them, I'll tell you, you can say what you want about Michael Bay, but his director film commentary <laughs> is fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's really, really good. Whether you like his directing style or not, watch one of his movies with the director commentary on. It's great. And you're going to go, whoa, OK, Michael Bay might not be as weird and crazy as we thought. Like, you know, he might actually be a decent director. Like, it's weird. Like. Um, I was really impressed. He's got some really good commentaries, um, but I haven't watched one with like that in a while. So um, it makes me wonder if there's a if I if my copy of seven or Fight Club has a Fincher director commentary, you know. So, yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, um, what uh, what's your next one? Yeah. Um, spe- <laughs> speaking of David Fincher, I can go in about uh, a movie I've talked about so much on the podcast, so I'm not going to go on and on. But uh, I went with the movie Zodiac. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, you know, the story of uh, kind of the mystery be- behind the uh, Zodiac murder and uh, how that all played out. And you have like you have Jake Gyllenhaal, who is just kind of a uh, cartoonist who works for for a newspaper and kind of uh, starts researching this mystery and kind of gets engrossed in it. And you have like Robert Downey Jr. He's one of the main um, reporters of the newspaper and Mark Ruffalo's in there as well. Like there's a really good cast to this film. And uh, I think it's just a really good story. Some people I've talked to thought that this movie had pacing issues. I personally don't think it did at all. I, I was engrossed the whole time and uh I just really love this one. And uh, yeah, I saw it on the list, had to go on my on my list. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah. And I was going to say, we talk about this one a lot. Uh, you yeah. know, what's funny is so I own Zodiac and I have a massive, massive uh, DVD, Blu-ray, video, movie collection, whatever. And I thought I thought about watching my entire collection just for fun in alphabetical order. Nice. Which would be kind of cool because you'd get to like a Star Wars section, you get to a Star Trek section, or you'd get to like the Marvel section. Just watch everything in alphabetical order. It'd be really kind of interesting. However, what has stopped me is that the movie I end on is Zodiac. Right. And not that I don't want to watch Zodiac, and not that I don't think it's a bad movie. It's just a hard sit for the end of the road. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that's that's a heavy-handed movie to watch for the last one on the list. You know, you have to in the meantime, you know, because this is going to probably take you like two years to watch through all that, (laughs) I imagine. Why don't just in the meantime, all you have to do is buy one other movie that comes after Zodiac and then you'll be set. 
Yeah, good call. And that, yeah, right. Like just like uh, Zoolander. I should pick up that. And then... there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my next one for the night is the movie Heat. Um, another uh, Michael Mann movie. Uh, Heat being you know Val Kilmer, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Tom Sizemore, um, Ashley Judd. Um, this has got a massive, massive cast. This is a movie basically about a group of uh, bank robbers um, and like the heists they pull and the FBI slash police trying to hunt them down and take them out. Uh, really cool crime drama. It's interesting because you're rooting for the cops because you want the cops to catch them, but you're rooting for the villains because you want the villains to succeed. And it probably has one of the greatest bank heist sequences in the movie, along with one of the greatest chase gunfight battles on a street scenes, in my opinion. Um, it's also one you want to watch with an incredible sound system. So when they get to the scene where they're running down the street looking for the van uh, with the bags of money and stuff, the gun battle is just incredible in terms of sound um, and surround sound stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, have you seen this movie? <laughs> no, this is another no, one I haven't seen. Oh my. I, know, I, know, I know it's horrible because I've heard from just so many sources that it's like, one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I just haven't. Yeah, I just it haven't is, had a chance Heat to watch is definitely one of the greatest films ever made. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, everyone needs to see Heat, uh, especially you. I can't believe I, I think it's interesting <laughs> that so many of these movies you're like, no, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. So um, I might have two more that you haven't seen. So anyway, there you go. what's your next one? <laughs> We'll see how the the rest of the list plays out. But um, yeah, so my next one, um, I went with another, funnily enough, another Jake Gyllenhaal movie, but I went with the movie Nightcrawler, which yeah. I know we've talked about on the podcast, but uh, I don't know, Jake Gyllenhaal, I feel like as much as you like your October skies or your, you know, Spider-Man uh homecomings and stuff like that um or was it far from home that he was in as mysterio uh anyways uh, far from home yeah uh, like those titles really bleed together don't they <laughs> absolutely um but yeah as much as you like him and those light-hearted roles like he does such a good job in these really dark twisted sort of roles and if that sounds like something you want to watch you have to watch the movie nightcrawler because it's just the story is about a guy who decides to be a nightcrawler, which I was kind of unfamiliar with, but nightcrawlers are the people who go out at night in the city and try to capture footage of traffic accidents or crime scenes or shootings or like really dark, demented stuff. But they can get this, get either pictures of videos of these events happening and they can sell that footage to news stations. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like they're like, paparazzi for disasters and accidents and trauma and it's a really dark concept in general but it's a story about this guy who decides to do that and he starts off the movie as kind of like a pretty fringe outcast sort of dude but he just goes down the road of madness and it's a really subtle it's a really subtle story, but when you start to see the crazy things that he does in the movie, like, it's just so captivating. Like, I'm going to spoil it a little bit, but the moment my dra my jaw dropped in this movie is when he gets to a car accident where somebody ended up dying, and he got there before any authorities or medical experts or anything, 
and he changed the crime scene. Like, he literally moved bodies around to get a better shot with his camera. And, like, the movie goes so many, like, really dark places like that, but it's so interesting. And, like, I can really see how this movie has that noir sense of, like, the heavy use of blacks and darkness and, like, the entire themes and events that take place are very questionable and nuanced. And uh, this one's just this one's just great. And I feel like it doesn't get brought up enough, but it's such a good film. Yeah, it is. I haven't seen this movie in a while, so I'm really glad yeah. you kind of recapped it for me, if you want. And I forgot about the body <laughs> scene. That's such a that's a good scene, man. <laughs> yeah. So the next one for me is another movie you probably haven't seen. It's the movie called No Way Out. Uh Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman. Um, yes, no, have you seen this? No, this is another one you brought up, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen this one. Actually. <laughs> uh, this movie came out in 1987. Um, what's really cool about this movie, this is... All right, so this is where the movie doesn't hold up. Technology today has gotten so much better with cell phones, computers, forensic, you know, science, all that stuff. Ultimately, this is back when you had to wait for pictures to be developed. So... There's a murder, like, um, Gene Hackman plays a senator, either a senator or a congressman. That's the part I forget, but that's irrelevant. He's a politician. And he's working with Kevin Costner, who's a who's from the Navy, and he just joined the CIA. And they're working together on this project, right? What you find out that they both are in love with the same woman. She's kind of like, I, I don't want to say she's playing both of them, but... Like, she's not really exclusive to either one, so she's kind of got a relationship with the two of them. Um, she gets murdered at one point, and the investigation into her death um, begins, and Kevin Costner knows there's a picture of him that she took at some point. And they acquired a film with the picture, and they're developing it. So the CIA is using this computer technology to develop it faster, so he's got this time window to try and prove his innocence before the picture gets developed because he doesn't know if it's a picture of him or if it's a picture of something else. So he is racing against time to try and prove his innocence, and it's this crazy, like, um, conspiracy, puzzled, uh, like, interlaced story kind of a script that just will have you guessing straight through the movie it's fantastic um i highly recommend it um it's a really famous movie back from the 80s uh, really really good um yeah nice so um i don't know if that's something up your uh uh on your radar or if you're gonna put it on your radar but if you get a chance to watch it i definitely recommend it um yeah, sure thing. Uh, I'm not going to not keep it on my radar. Radar. It's just kind of <laughs> when sure. will I have the chance to see it? Um, I and I was also going to say not to be confused with uh, No Way Home. We're talking about No Way Out. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess I can move into my last pick then. Yeah. Um, and I realized when we find I realized at this point that uh, Last Night in Soho isn't my newest or most recent movie on my list, because I actually went with The Batman uh, for my nice. last pick um, with Robert Pattinson. This is the newest uh, Batman film. And uh, this film, this I another, feel like... This is another perfect example of um, film noir, too. I really feel like it is. And I'm like, 
obviously, as I've gone through this list, I don't know as much about film noir as you do, Drew, at all. But I feel like this one, I can really see that this is a uh, film noir and how it uses the cinematography and how, like, we've talked on this podcast about Gotham in this movie feels like a character, like the city itself has a presence. Um, I've mentioned how I feel like at certain points in the movie, the city almost feels like it almost feels like a cave that you're inside as opposed to a city. And it looks like a city, but the feel of it is like you're in some dark claustrophobic cavern. And I feel like the use of shadows and the cinematography really gives that feel and I feel like that's really in line with film noir like you think of the beginning of the movie and you have Bruce Wayne walking around the city and you have his inner monologue and you see him uh, beat up like a group of thugs and the way that's shot and how Batman is in the shadows and he comes out it to me it does feel really pulpy and really like noir-esque and it's so beautiful in that like awesome dark way um and the the one other thing i wanted to mention about this film and correct me if i'm wrong drew but i even feel like the inner monologue that was used so heavily in this movie i feel like that feels really film noir-esque too like where you'd be watching a film noir and you'd have like that detective's like inner monologue and i could be totally off base but i feel like that kind of fits in with that genre as well you know? Yeah, it is. And like the inner monologues, the way like I'm glad you brought up the city because something that a, a good film noir would do is make the city itself feel like a character in the movie. Right. Um, like the atmosphere and, and stuff. And that's something that Batman does. The Batman does really, really well. And that's if you go back and this is that attention to detail when it comes to comic books. The Gotham City is a character in Batman. Yeah. If you go back to the Batman animated series, Gotham City is a character. It's almost like yes. it's almost like the series is about Gotham and Batman just happens to be in it or mm. Batman's the hero or the detective or whatever the case may be. I feel that the the Batman is a better example of film noir than any of the Dark Knight trilogy. And I know I feel like that's a blasphemous thing to say. I really do. But because uh, I really don't know if I think the Batman's better than the Dark Knight or vice versa. But if I'm talking film noir, I will take the Batman over any of them in terms of like how well it represented that film noir feel. And so. I, I feel like I would agree with that um, in so many ways. And that's kind of why it made my list, because I do feel like. I do feel like it has that film noir spirit and you think of the movie the Batman and how much of that movie was so dark, like even just the screen tone, everything felt dark, but in a really cool way. And like, I think of the dark Knight and like going back to it, like I was actually watching it some, a uh, couple nights ago, but the lighting in that movie is surprisingly bright in some Which scenes, one? like uh, in the dark Knight itself. Okay. Um, like, there's certain scenes where the lighting is like surprisingly bright and it's actually the subject matter that makes it dark. But I can see how, like when you look at it from a cinematography, from just like a filmmaking sense, like the Batman might fit the mold a lot more. And I think that's really interesting to uh, think about, you know? Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely agreed. And that's, 
And I noticed that with the Batman, with the Dark Knight trilogy in general, there's a lot of sequences that are very light. And they were showing, like, especially, like, the, the final fight scene with Bane. It's in the daytime. Like, when yeah. we see Batman in the daytime, you know? But that was a special circumstance, if you will. Um, but, yeah. All right. So my last pick of the night is the movie Brick. Have you ever seen this movie? Oh, is this uh, oh. Ryan Johnson? Ryan Johnson. This was like you've, Ryan Johnson's first. You've suggested this multiple times. I haven't watched it yet. I know I've I'm talked about. To. I, I know I've talked about this before. This is probably. This might be, and I'm not saying that any of your picks are bad versus my picks are bad, but right, this right, is right. probably one of the perfect examples of a film noir you'll ever get. Um, it is a traditional film noir style detective story like you would get from like the 1940s to 1960s or whatever it is done in a modern day sense and it's done on a level of high school um this high school girl goes missing no one believes the dude saying that the girl's missing and he goes down this rabbit hole of the conspiracy of what happened to the girl Mm. and takes the investigation on him on his own and it's incredible um joseph gordon levitt's in it emil de raven's in it um there's a few other surprises in terms of like cast members but it is probably one of the coolest movies you'll see especially in terms of like it's like a it's like a weird coming of age slash film noir crossbreed sort of a film but in terms of like ryan johnson writing mysteries and stuff you'll be with it all the way through the movie and it's in, it's really great. Um, and like the level of the it's, it's that thing where the kids are dealing with very adult situations that they shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, but on this very like perfect level, uh, I would honestly say brick would probably fall under a perfect film for me. If I was going to say, Hey, what are your perfect films? Brick would probably wow. end on there. It's so good. Uh, early 2000s is when that came out. So, um, yeah, I would say check it out if you get a chance. Um, I know that uh, I've told you to watch it before. So, yeah, just I would say put that one higher on your list if you get a chance to watch it. Um, <laughs> I don't awesome. know if it's streaming anywhere, but. Yeah. Nice. Um, anyway, that kind of brings us to the end of the list. Um, so. Like I said, so normally what we would do is it would be Peter's pick for next week. Yes. But next week's going to be a little bit unorthodox because we are going to be off at C2E2 next week. And uh, so the following, so this episode will drop, and then the following episode that we'll drop out is uh, our coverage of C2E2. So we'll be discussing that next week. We'll probably talk about our five favorite moments or five favorite something from the con or whatever the case may be. Uh, for next week's episode and then we'll be back to our normal schedule hopefully new news is kind of light while we're on our uh convention thing because <laughs> i was like uh i thought about that i'm like man that's two weeks of no news and we got to do a con coverage at the same time so yeah hopefully news isn't too heavy when we're uh, on our way back so um, yeah hopefully <laughs> yeah any thoughts before uh we end for the night no this was this was a pretty fun list and uh <laughs> just more two watches to add to my list but yeah uh yeah no okay. real deep thoughts at this point <laughs> all right so we're gonna toss this episode in the can um everyone do us all of a favor and check out our website top5report.com there you'll find links to all of our social media twitter and facebook along to a link to our email 
uh, top5report at gmail.com. You can hit, hit up the show there. Hit us up on social media. Either way works. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, and Audible. Um, you can subscribe to the show um, in any of those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we also understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I will be reminding you that when greeting the king of the Koopas, you do not curtsy. You bow, sir. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. All right, everyone. Have, have a good night. Thanks for listening.